We're in James chapter 5, and my kids were praying for me last night. I said, hey, don't forget to pray for my sermon. Uh, and one of them goes, and God, I pray that Dad's sermon is not boring. And then another kid says, that was actually very nice of him to say. And I was like, I know, you kids love me so much, and you're always so honest with me about how much you love listening to me preach at you, uh, but they have to live with me too, so it is a little different. Uh, but do appreciate you three boys at home there for loving your mom much and being so obedient right now, and for every other kid who is paying attention along with their parents, thanks for you as well. I am sure everyone is locked in right now as we go into James. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, right on the tail end of this discussion about uh, the rich and the judgment that comes, James changes his tone and speaks again to this church. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Will you pray with me? Father, patience is often something that does not reside within us. Patience in our suffering, in our pain, is more difficult. And still you show us a way and you make it clear. You give us grace and you give us your word and you point us to Jesus who shows us a better way. So do that today as we are in James 5. Show us better. Show us your son. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I think we know the research on this a little bit, but here are just a few things that I think go along with the idea that attention spans are hard to come by, especially with phones in our pockets that are always telling us things and buzzing at us and notifying us and telling us what's going on and giving us things to look at and distract ourselves with. So a 2018 article found some research that stated Americans check their smartphones an average of 52 times a day. I think that's rather low uh, another study found a group that checked our phones 96 times a day. question is, how many times since we have started even this sermon have you checked your phone? Don't, people in the room, I wasn't looking, I promise. Two, one, five. How many times have you glanced? How many times have you been texted? How many times have you been distracted? How many times have you texted somebody? How many times have you liked, checked, notified, watched, looked, responded, tweeted, messaged, whatever, how many times has that gone on? And I know that we like to think that we can multitask, but that's a lie. You can't. 
You always have to give up some level of attention to split it. Like, oh no, I'm really good at both of these things. I'm like, no, you're not. No, we aren't. And yet this is what we do. And our phones have a sense trained us to just be less engaged, to be less focused, to be less aware, and trained us to be uh, more immediately gratified. Endurance is something that we really, really struggle with. Waiting for something is incredibly difficult for you, incredibly difficult for me, especially as you get older, kids with these attention spans, no, as we get older and then we potentially have means or money in our pockets and we can go ahead and purchase or remove whatever it is that is causing us pain or struggle or issue, we are able in those instances to have our greatest desires met in a moment. How many times have you stared down even at your phone or at your watch while you're meeting with somebody important and you go, oh, this will just take a minute? And we've just kind of been trained to say, oh, no, if you have to address that, go ahead and address it. How many times have you been looking somebody in the eye and then all of a sudden you go, and you just totally remove whatever's going on? And that's daily. That's moment by moment. It's as if we're all always and often looking for distractions from this life or this current moment, and we've just given ourselves over to the expectation that we'll be distracted. We fill our eyes with screens and messages and likes as if they are the most important thing in the world, <clears throat> and endurance has become less important than simply getting through the next five minutes or ten minutes or even the next sermon. Add to that the past several months of life, and we are weary for meaningful things to grab our attention. Things that are satisfying and things that matter. And there's an idea that since the ascension of Jesus, right? Jesus going, giving the Great Commission, saying, I will, you know, head it up into the clouds. And then the angels come like, why are you looking for him down here, right? He's gone up. You get to work. Go make disciples. But an idea that has been constant in the hearts and mind and eyes of our brothers and sisters, even as we read through the Scriptures, the New Testament, the book of Acts, the epistles, as we read these things, the return of the Lord has captivated the church. Even before the entrance of the Son into the world, there were faithful men and women who looked for and longed for the day of God's deliverance, who saw it as coming. And such a reality allowed for them and gave them the proper attitude to handle whatever was coming in their life, specifically through their trials. When you see something in the future that is infinitely better than what you have now, it helps you endure a million things. I mean, how many have watched others go through or have themselves gone through a brutal cancer diagnosis? How many have watched others go through or they themselves have gone through a job loss 
and wondering what's next. The death of loved ones, the death of a child, the death of a parent, the death of a spouse. How many have suffered persecution for their faith throughout the globe? In some places of the world, suffering for your faith and being persecuted for your faith isn't just common but expected. In today's passage, James 5, verses 7 through 11, helps us, allows for us to address just that idea of patience and endurance. How can we be patient in our pains? And how can we be patient with each other? Well, we look to Jesus and we learn what has come before, which is what James does for us in this passage. He has us look to Jesus and his return, then he has us look to others and their example. And this is what we'll see as we just kind of go through very slowly through these verses. We look at verses uh, first in 7 and 8. If I say something like, what has Jesus done? My kids will often say, he died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And I go, check, right? You can go to Sunday school. You can be in Genesis Kids, right? You're not going to make me look bad if, you, if they ask you that question. But very often we miss or are not captivated by the return of Jesus. And this is what we'll see in the first two verses, is that Christ's return reminds us to be patient in trials. That Christ's return reminds us to be patient in trials. Now remember where we have been in chapter 5, just last week. The rich, in verses 1 through 6, which we said were likely unbelievers, have taken advantage of the poor and the righteous. And right before this passage, verses 7 through 11, James is reminding him that there is judgment coming upon these people for their unrighteous behavior and their unrighteous hearts. The judgment comes on their disobedience. Then he follows up with verses 7 and 8 and says this, Therefore, anybody in the kind of the old Bible study methods goes, if you see a therefore, you got to see what it was Therefore, you know it, right? So when you see a therefore, you got to figure out what it was there for, and it was what comes before. Well, therefore, because we know that the judgment is coming upon disobedient, therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. He uses an example. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. So the therefore points back to the attitude of these rich and toward the unbelieving and and how they had treated the unbelieving and poor righteous and knowing that God's judgment is absolute and that Jesus is returning and he is going to right every wrong. He says then be patient. You may have heard the phrase before, just our little colloquialism or our little uh, cultural proverb, patience is a virtue, have it if you can, seldom in a woman, never in a man. We use that in my house a lot, as a reminder for me more than anybody else. Patience doesn't exist in a large proportion in many of us, even though for the believer, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, the ability to bear with to wait, to be okay with the situation that is not going as you had anticipated. 
Patience in conversations with people when you disagree. Patience with somebody who's struggling to get over a sin. Patience with a family member who is living in a way that you don't want. Patience with a spouse who is speaking in ways that you don't appreciate or is working over here and you wish that they wouldn't or is interested over here and you wish they weren't. Patience is hard for us to come by. Here's one, though, that becomes really difficult. Is how about patience in your suffering? Patience in your pain. Just be patient in that. That's incredibly difficult. When you are being treated wrongly, when you're being taken advantage of, when you are being harmed, for me to come alongside and be like, hey, you know, really sorry you're going through that, just be patient, really sounds like a cop-out, doesn't it? It sounds like I am telling you, don't worry about it, can't do anything about it, don't, can't try and change it, just be patient. But think about what we have seen in James so far. James recognizes in the tension of the rich and the poor here, he recognizes that the rich are doing things to the poor, and the poor in many ways are helpless. Think even about last week, what happened there. They didn't pay the people their wages when they needed to pay them. Earlier in the book, they take the poor to court, and they have the means and the resources to put up the legal battle that the poor does not have. Causing suffering, pain, turmoil, anguish on these people to whom James is writing. And I am confident that there were likely rich believers in the midst as well. So so often we hear this and we go, yeah, riches are bad. Riches do deceive. But the Lord also does provide abundantly for some and they learn generosity and they give and they give and they give and when that happens I want to pray for it to happen more so I'm not saying here never say that's wrong never say this behavior is fine never never go along with it and never try to be complicit in it I was listening to Tony Evans recently talk about it He goes even Paul right he protested and acts as a Roman citizen and he appealed to Caesar And because of his citizenship, he was able to make that appeal. If you were with us in our F260 New Testament reading, you recently saw that as we finished up the book of Acts. You saw Paul say, I'm a Roman citizen, I appeal. So it's not to say never do those things, but there is is a dissatisfaction with whatever level of justice we might see on this earth because it isn't the perfection that Jesus will bring. There should always be some holy dissatisfaction with what we see because we recognize that Jesus hasn't returned and he hasn't made right every wrong. That God is still working something out. But patience gets frustrating Right? That's why the psalmist cries out, How long, O Lord, how long will this go on? Being told to be patient because God is working can just be so infuriating. But, looking at James, his reminder about patience comes from the character of God. 
And he talks about the farmer with the early and the late rains, which just seems like a nice agricultural image. Makes sense. But look, for example, at Deuteronomy chapter 11. And you don't have to turn there. We magically have words that show up at the bottom of the video. Oh, right? But Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command to you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, he will, look at verse 13, he will give the rain for your land and its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. So when James says, look to the farmer who waits patiently for the early rains and the late rains, could very well be that James knows that the farmer is waiting for God's provision. The thing that he or she cannot bring about. I can plant, I can wait, but I can't make it rain. Anybody in Texas right now knows that. Anybody looking at their yards right now knows that. Anybody who has a garden right now that's not watering it knows that. I cannot make it rain. I must wait. And I must wait on what only God can bring. Wait for God to bring about what you need. He will do it. Then he says, strengthen your hearts for the Lord's coming is near, which means what? I'm trying to strengthen your heart. Like, what do you do? You eat more broccoli? Good heart, healthy heart, that's what we need. Broccoli, celery, you need to jog a few miles a day. You're going to be good. Your heart will be strengthened. We're not talking about physically strengthening your heart. But we're talking about reminding yourself of what is true. Strengthen your hearts. Now, strength does come from feeding on the right source. You're regularly engaged in the scriptures. If you're encouraging one another with what you're seeing and what you're reading and what you're learning and you're pointing yourself to the Lord and you're talking about what God is doing, if you have those conversations, your heart is strengthened. Uh, I used to be one, and, and the Lord, I think, is changing me in this. I used to be one who's like, I just want to be able to hang out with my Christian friends and not really talk about you know, what we're growing in or what we're doing. Like, I don't need that. You know, we're, we should all be growing. Now I'm like, you know what? In fact, I would much rather hear what you're learning from the Lord than just, just how you're doing. I want to know how you're doing, but I want to know what you're learning. I want to know what God is teaching you. Why? Because through what God is teaching you, he might have something to teach me as well. And when we do that, our hearts are strengthened because we're reminding one another of what the Lord is doing and who the Lord is and what the Lord has promised. Strengthen your hearts. The Lord's coming is near. But it's interesting because right, hundreds of decades have passed since then. I mean, think about that. So think about the time that has passed since we have heard, strengthen your hearts. Lord's coming is near. You can do the math and tell me exactly how many decades it is and put it in the Facebook comments. 
But how am I supposed to be strengthened after that? Sure, Jesus, you know, James, one of the first letters that was written, Jesus had recently, within the past uh, 20 years, recently ascended. So, of course, they have a mentality that this could come back at any time. But here we are, 2020, living that COVID life, and you're supposed to tell me the Lord's coming is near? I'm supposed to believe that? Look at how much time has passed between that statement that James wrote and where we are now. So much time passes that you stop paying attention. You stop even maybe believing that it is real. We get concerned that maybe we have missed the boat. Maybe there is a whole life to be lived over here in this world and Jesus seems to be taking his time and so we should go ahead and just live. But there's an idea that exists within the scriptures and has existed throughout all church history, which is that the Lord's coming is imminent. It could be in a moment. And so we, we, and when I mean we, I mean brothers and sisters throughout all of church history, we live as if the Lord's coming is near because it is We don't slow down, shouldn't tire, though we do. He could come at any time, and this has always been true. We do not know the day or the hour. So even though it feels like it has taken forever, it hasn't been that long for the Lord, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We need to adjust our thinking on things like that and on our patience and on our timelines to the Lord's way. Realizing that it's out over millennia that we don't even realize. And he has stories of redemption that have been carried out for generations that we don't even realize. To think that we have to have it all figured out all the time is such a faulty way of living life. But let's just take a moment and let's think about what is coming. When Jesus returns, he rights every wrong. He resurrects the dead. All those with faith in him, faith in what the Lord has revealed, faith in his person and his work, will be with him in paradise. It will make anything that we have experienced look so insignificant I was thinking about a friend recently, and uh, I have many people in my life that I just send prayer requests to. I go, pray for this, pray for that. And I find sometimes, I'll say I'm middle-aged, whatever, you know, middle-ish age. Some of you go, no, you're not. I'm enough. I'm within it. I'm within middle age now. And it's interesting because as I want to follow the Lord with all my heart, I also hit a pocket of life that I love. And I love my kids' ages. And I love what I'm seeing going on at Genesis. And I love the relationships that I have. And I just, I just want to bottle it up and keep it. And, and then your prayers don't become like, hey, Lord, return soon. It's like, could you wait a little while? I really, I really want to see my kids graduate. If the Lord would have for them to get married, I'd love to... I'd love to be there. 
Could you just let me live? I don't know what your plan is for me. But, you know, I, and, and it's funny how you do that because you read Paul and Paul's like, for me to live is Christ but to die is gain. And I go, so often I don't think I have that perspective because I'm kind of in this really enjoyable part of life. And I think about the friends that I have pray for me. I may be asking this question. Does your desire for the Lord's return get stronger as your body breaks down? As your needs increase, as your independence leaves, as you see more people you love die, I think about uh, my grandmother. My grandmother's watched uh, her first grandson die, and uh, she's watched her own husband die, and she's watched my mom, her daughter, die. And to go, I'm, I'm still here. I've lost a generation beside me, two generations below me, and, the gen- and then the generation right below me. Husband, daughter, grandson. Does the ache get stronger and the desire get louder as you realize that this life isn't as important as you feel like it is? But I think without even answering the question or getting all your survey research, you would answer that as yes, absolutely. You see it. And I do think for those of us who love life, who think everything's great, who would never want it to stop, I think we are benefited by brothers and sisters who might be more physically weary, who have seen more, and who really can't wait to be with the Lord to help temper our perspectives on what life is really like and what really matters because we can get drowned out and to take patience, have endurance for the Lord's coming is near. We, that doesn't even feel like real words for us, but they are. That's why relationships, not just with peers, but up and down generationally are so important because they help build for us what is true in the Lord. That's why we take heart. That's why we focus. That's why we stop looking at our phones for immediate satisfaction and we instead look to Christ's return to give us that satisfaction. So Christ's return does show us to be patient in sufferings, to endure. But there's another little neat thing it does in verse 9 is that Christ's return reminds us to be patient with each other. To be patient with each other. Now, this is an interesting verse. It kind of shows up in the middle, and you go, what in the world is this saying? Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. (laughs) What in the world is that? And why does that show up in the midst of patience and the Lord's return? Be patient with one another? Well, it sounds a lot like what we read just a chapter ago in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? It sounds similar, right? It would make sense because James did write a letter to these people. He would want them to hear the same themes. But I do like, and I've talked about a commentary by Douglas Moo, New Testament professor, that has been really helpful. You can always grab it, the Pillar New Testament commentary series by Doug Moo. It's really easy to read through uh, and incredibly beneficial for those who would like to study James. But he kind of writes it like this. He says, it does make sense that verse 9 shows up 
in the midst of this. Because when the pressure rises in your life, and when the suffering increases, where do you go, and who also, who also often receives the brunt of it, but those closest to you? When you're about to crack, when you're under pressure, ugly stuff comes out. You've probably felt this before. You might be there right now. Lord knows I have been there as well. But your spouse or your kids or your church family or your community group or your leaders, your elders, your whatever, those people get the worst of it. And so it makes sense that James would say, look, hold on. Hold on. Be patient with one another. The Lord is returning. Our conversation and our speech together needs to be encouraging, needs to be loving, needs to be gracious, especially amongst the church family because we know what's coming and we need to cheer one another on and we need to encourage one another and we need to strengthen people's hearts. Not necessarily to remove their suffering and to say you won't have this problem, but so that They can endure in it. And it's not just that. I love that James, like the preacher that he is, is about to address something in verses 10 and 11. Because in verses 10 and 11, he's going to go to the Old Testament. He's going to say, look, it's happened before. It's not new. And that's important for us. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. We count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome of what the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we see the prophets and we see Job. And both are people who suffered but endured. People who were patient in their sufferings. So what do we see here? But that faithful examples remind us to be patient through our trials. He points back and goes, look, you're not the first person to deal with this. You won't be the last person to deal with this. People have always needed to be patient through trial, patient and endure through suffering. Look at these examples. James isn't just saying without experience, hold on, it'll get better. No, he is saying, look, others have done this too. In every generation, there are those people who have seen Jesus as worth any cost, any suffering, and any pain, people who have found him worthy. In the Old Testament, as they were looking toward what God would bring, prophets might have been mocked and not even regarded as faithful. Job lost so much but was restored in many ways. you haven't heard me use uh, this quote before, this was 120 years ago, written by Hudson Taylor. The book itself is called The Martyred Missionaries of the China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor's uh, missionary organization, or what it was called at the time, and uh, they were ministering amongst uh, China, and there's this whole book that came out, um, and it's weird, I've held it in my hands, um, and, and looked, and there's pictures and artifacts and stories, some escaped, some didn't about what's going on, and he writes this in the introduction. I want to read uh, this portion of the introduction, the entire page. He says this about suffering and it being worth it. 
We have lost so much in losing such fellow workers, but all we have lost, the Lord Jesus has gained, and do our inmost souls not say he is worthy? We cannot forget his words uttered on the eve of his own martyrdom. Father, I long that those whom you have given me will be with me where I am. They may behold my glory. Shall we regret that his longing has been fulfilled? Meaning, shall we be sad that those who have died for him are now with him? Should we regret that, that what Jesus wanted is now happening with those who are with him because of their suffering? Then he says this, But poor China has lost many of her best friends, native and foreign. Will not some hear the voice of the Master calling them to go out and to take the place of those called higher, to shepherd the flocks now scattered and bereaved and to gather the fruit of the life work as well as the terrible suffering and death of our native and foreign brethren and sisters who have gone to their reward. God has made no mistake in what he has permitted. His interest in the spread of Christ's kingdom is greater than ours. Our hearts cannot but ache for the places left empty and for the shepherdless Christians and we are thankful for the record that Jesus wept. But we trust our omnipotent Lord and are sure that his tender heart would not have allowed such trials had there been any easier way of securing the fuller triumphs of the gospel. The Apostle Paul rejoiced to fill to the full his share of the afflictions of Christ in his flesh for the sake of the church. Let us pray that the record of these sufferings may stimulate us to greater self-denial and that Christ's people in the homeland may share in the coming blessing, and let us never forget that a million a month in China are dying without God. Just a few paragraphs on a page, 120 years ago, written about those who lost their life, their homes, their family, their friends, for the cause of Jesus. And what does he say? Don't let that bother you. Should you be bothered that what Jesus wants for us is happening? Should we be not grieved by all the people who do not know him? And shouldn't that allow us to handle and endure whatever might come our way because we get to see that Jesus is worthy? So as we finish this passage, it looks like James just says this for us, that you look to Jesus You learn from others so that you can stand firm. You look to Jesus and return that he is coming. And you learn from others who have looked to Jesus so that you can stand firm wherever you are because Jesus will always be worth it. And whatever we might experience now will not be significant when we get to sing together, worthy is the Lamb for all eternity. He's always worthy. Might our hearts be strengthened in that to endure whatever might come our way.